This is episode 103 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Beth Ann Standig. For more than 25 years, and with an ever-growing menagerie of animals at her California ranch, licensed psychotherapist and lifelong cowgirl Beth Ann Standig has worked with human herds, providing leadership, corporate culture, and well-being programs through the Circle Up experience. She's trained thousands of CEOs, managers, and teams from companies, universities, and nonprofits, helping them tap into their natural leadership to live, lead, and work with genuine connection. Tune in for an eye-opening conversation about how we can better address issues within the human herd and what we can do to embrace our innate mammal skills in order to deal with pressure and find a state of ease. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm very excited to have Beth Ann Standig on the show with me. Hi, Beth. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here. You're doing some incredible work with horses. You have a book. I do. Yeah, it is. I know. The human so fun to hold it. Yeah. How I always like to start these interviews off is asking the author, how have horses touched your life? I understand that you've been involved with them for a very long time, Beth. So would you share a little bit about the horses that have touched your life? Uh, yeah, it's like, it's a, hard to talk about it without getting emotional and, and teary because I, I think about every aspect of my life and it's hard for me to name one aspect they haven't touched. And I, I fell in love with horses when I was a little girl and it was instant and it, and I look back on it and I, I feel like it happens on a cellular level. I, I wanted to be around them all the time. And, and then I think the more that I have, you know, reflected on that, I, and, and look at, how I've involved myself with them. It's actually that I wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, it was, I, I wanted to crawl inside that world, that equine world and, and be as much a part of it as I could. And, and, and slowly, but surely that's a little bit of what's happened. I mean, I, <laughs> I, the way my ranch is situated, all the gates are open. And so they kind of surround my home and I have a herd and I spend a lot of time with the herd and I've learned more and more as a human mammal, and my work's very much about really reclaiming that part of us. Mm-hmm. I've learned from them and with them how to be more like them and how it actually has benefited me as a person and the people that I work with and live with and love for me to actually adopt more of their, their way of relating and being. Mm. And I love that we're going to get into this. I love that you're out there kind of teaching, teaching this because if more people were moving around their lives the way horses do, I think humanity would be much happier if, if that were the case. And yeah. I totally relate with you falling in love with them at that cellular level from being little and just falling in love with them. Was this like 
counting horses on the side of the road as you were taking family road trips and then eventually getting into the to the riding lessons and then having one of your own. Was that kind of how this whole chain reaction developed for you? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, any chance I could get to be with them and mm-hmm. yeah, any, it, it was like anything horse mm-hmm. I was attracted to and mm-hmm. I could pick out of, you know, a cluttered room. I could find one element that was equine related and <laughs> I was the same with dogs. And mm-hmm. so I had an equal obsession, I would say with dogs and horses and always had them in my life and part of my life and, and actually, knew from an early age that the attraction was to learning from them. Like Mm -hmm. I saw in them, in the horses and the dogs, something that was missing from, from humans that was Mm -hmm. very attractive and compelling and pulled me to want to be with them. So I was, yeah, I was riding at a young age and leasing horses and going to camp and, you know, doing everything, you know, after school, horse, horse, horse. And you're like, where did this come from? But it's just always, always there. I think so many people listening to the show can definitely relate. I know I can relate as a horse girl. Now, this is where it gets fascinating. I wanted to mention you are a licensed psychotherapist and a long life cowgirl, but for more than 25 years and with an ever growing menagerie of horses and other animals, as you've mentioned, At your California ranch, you have worked with human herds, providing leadership, culture, and well-being programs. Talk to us about the business you've created and the services you offer. You're doing cool work. Thank you. So the business is called the Circle Up Experience. And, you know, my path is circuitous. And my first career is as a writer. Mm -hmm. And so here I am actually writing about this work. So I've, I've, you know ended up exactly where I started, which often we do. Mm -hmm. I became a therapist in 2001. And very early in my career, I started studying about equine therapy and was interested in equine assisted learning and equine assisted psychotherapy. And I had this story going that I couldn't, I needed to really galvanize myself as a therapist before I could involve the horses. Mm -hmm. So I had these kind of parallel tracks in my life. And I was always doing the horse piece and there, I had horses as a part of my everyday life. And then I was a therapist and they were, they, they were separate. And over time I would take, go to trainings and I would, you know, I was learning from the horses. I was doing so much healing and growing and developing parts of myself in my own horse world. And I, it would inform my work as a therapist, Mm. but I wasn't necessarily bringing that to my clients. Mm. And I had this story going that a, I needed to be, you know, a more expert therapist to bring the horses into it. And B, that I had to have a setting, a, like I had in my mind a setting that to do that work, that it was like, it had to be a certain way. And that I didn't want to go to a training barn or a place where I was boarding horses or, you know, to do working with other people. And so I had this kind of grand plan of what it would look like if I was going to bring those two together. And I ended up with the opportunity to buy this ranch that belonged to a friend of mine. And she and her husband passed away within six weeks of each other. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the ranch is where I did a lot of sheep herding with my border collies. And (laughs) she was a Western pleasure trainer and um, a real mentor of mine and just a dear friend. And the loss was you know, really very sad. And her adult children decided not to carry on with the property. And 
I, it became available for me to buy. And I swear it was not until I, the day I stood on the ranch having possessed like the ownership, like papers were signed, sealed, delivered, done, that I said, oh, this is the place where it happens. Like it didn't, oh. I, I didn't put it all together. It was, and then there, and there I stood realizing, you know, I'd been doing, putting all these pieces in place to make it possible to work with people, with the horses. And it was just kind of waiting for the right place for it to, for me to do it the way I wanted to do it and mm-hmm. to have the freedom to create a space, which I believe in for humans and horses, that the environment in which we operate is so important. And so I started working with people here and very quickly realized I did, I couldn't go back to my office and I had a real epiphany around that pretty fast. And people started asking me to work with groups Mm -hmm. and I, I got, I had been interested in work life and work wellness and organizational issues that come up in groups and teams forever. And it was part of my, my psychology background. But when I started doing group work with the horses, I realized, oh, 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 there's a big problem with the human herd. And these horses have huge things to teach us and it's systemic and it's about how we're living as herd animals and, and not getting our needs met. Mm. And it, it really pivoted my career at that point. That is amazing. And I guarantee that your friend uh, whose ranch it previously was, is so glad you're there. I know for sure. I feel that. Yeah. I uh, feel that I feel her here all the time. I'm, I'm sitting in the room, you know, this mm -hmm. ranch was established in 1895 and this room you know, it, she it was like her little office space. And mm-hmm. here I am getting to carry on, you know, s- things that she believed in and horses touched her life. And now this is this place where people, even non-horse people, mostly who non-horse people come and we work with the herd and learn, learn a, a lot about ourselves as humans through them. Mm-hmm. That's really important work to be doing. And I, I, I feel almost through our Zoom connection, the magic that's going on that's going on there. Why work with horses? Like in, in put that together, like why, why is that making such an impact mm-hmm. on the human herd? Like, why did you put those pieces together? It almost sounds like it magically flowed together, but like, how did you put that puzzle together and decide this is how it works or what inspired that? So very early on in my life, I saw the discrepancy between the way that the animals lived and related with each other and the way that humans did. Like it was, I was like five when I remember noticing it for the first time and beginning a mistrust in the human piece. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that deep commitment to studying the animal way where it was born. And, and yet I went on to study psychology and I've always been fascinated with people. I've just been fascinated with mammal life in general and culture. And what happened is, you know, I, I'm a lover of language. I am a writer. I, I loved being a student. I've been teaching at a university level for 25 years. I'm, I'm, I'm a deeply intellectual verbal person. And I, I, I love being in thought. And yet I think that it really distracts us and numbs us from parts of ourselves as mammals that we need. Mm -hmm. And the more that I pursued 
psychology alongside with horsemanship and sheep herding and experiential things that I was doing in nature and with animals, the more I saw the the heavy reliance on language and thought to understand ourselves and our relationships in our lives, we were missing something. And so the, the short answer is that we don't, we're as humans, the, our, our thinking brain and our language can only get us so far. And though that intellectual part of ourselves is beautiful and not necessarily something we want to abandon when we bring this other part forward and give it more voice and more awareness, we have a way better scope of how to live our lives. So I, that, that mistrust that I had at an early age, it, it actually grew. And I started to notice, especially as a therapist, the stories that people tell about who they are and how they operate were one thing, but if you watch them, behaviorally. We're liars. We just lie to ourselves. And we only, you know, I, I, I don't think we mean to, it's not malintent or being, you know, terrible people. It's just that we can only see what we can see. Mm. And so doing more experiential work with horses who are so honest about what's happening in the moment, their presence, I mean, all animals are, they're incredibly honest about what's happening in the present moment and what they feel. And they show that to us in no uncertain terms. And they give us very direct feedback about it. And when we shift, they shift too. So they're incredibly forgiving in terms of their ability to pivot. And so it allows us to experiment, see parts of ourselves and then experiment with parts of ourselves and make change immediately. And that's something that would take six months in a traditional therapy office. So there was, once I saw that, there was no way I could go back. It was like, how could I ever do this work without them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's like removing the language and then the incessant thought that goes on in our yes. mind and just being with the energy that is, which is what horses and animals do do. It's like, I know we have that, right? But it's, we don't use that as much as we rely on the other things. So it's like, I right. often say, if we could take remove language or communication yes. in that way from the human species, then we'd probably all get along a lot better. You know, there'd be oh, less, sure. a lot less like confrontation and confusion and making things up. And I love what you're saying there. The human herd needs some work and you're working on helping us, which, which is fantastic. Now talk to us about your book. It's so funny. You said how things come full, full circle. I love that you're a writer. You were a writer. And then you took everything that you were doing, the love of horses at all, kind of comes together in the end and now you've written a book. Right. Here we, here we are about the work that you're doing. So uh, let's talk about your book, The Human Herd, Awaking, Awakening Our Natural Leadership. And I understand this is part guidebook, part manifesto, uh, and part wake-up call. And I'm here in the wake-up call part. So you know, what, what will readers find inside? What, where, where are you going with this book? Well, I'm a, a real believer in reclaiming parts of our way, ways of life that we used to do that were working and that are often more animal-like. And so storytelling is one of those. Every chapter has a story. And so there's a bit of memoir in terms of the what I've walked through with my own animals and what they've taught me. And there've been these core concepts mm-hmm. that are part of mammal life that we, that when we uh, bring them into our awareness and actually get to know these these parts of mammal life with more intention, we can use those parts of ourselves. 
And so every chapter has a story, describes one of those concepts, and then has a practice. It has a suggestion of something that you could do to try to build, expand that capacity and build that, that, that part of you from within. And so it's a bit of a hybrid book. Once I got into the process, I realized that it was the only way that it could be written and that those stories are, you know, there's some messiness to them, normalizing how, how messy learning is and allowing animals to be our teachers and allowing each other to be teachers is, is actually a huge part of herd life, Mm -hmm. allowing ourselves to be teachable. And so I think that that vein runs throughout the book and, um, and I hope it offers, you know, kind of a humility or an openness that invites readers to do the same with, with their stories. Oh, I love that. And it sounds like you're you're very you're very honest when you're talking about this. And I love that. I mean, most of us don't like to expose that things can be messy, but they are. Just being a person living a life, like things get messy all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and we all need we all need something to to help us like wake up and see things. So so inside of the book, does is it work that can be applied to people who who have their own animals and they can do this for, and they can learn through your your process, but then also take, take what you've shown them and then apply it to their own life with animals. It sounds like, yeah, you could apply it to your life with any of your animals, including your human animals. (laughs) And so I've, I've really been like trying to hone, you know, what is it that I do? And I, I work with mammals Mm -hmm. and I'm really a student of mammal life and mammal culture. And I think that when we boil it down to that level, it does unite us in a really important way. And it, it opens our minds to the idea of partnership and collaboration and interdependency. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that we need to get ourselves out of these hierarchical models that just cause a lot of fear and destruction and polarizing. Mm -hmm. And they certainly do that when I watch, I do a lot of work with horse people trainers and clinics and, you know, trying to bring this model to equestrians to start to think about how can you show up as a herd member with your horse and partner and get out of that model of um, making our animals do things and instead have that be more conversational, start to look at what it's like to have an open feedback system with other mammals in our lives. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can, any of the concepts that are in this book are applicable to how we show up with ourselves. So how we, it talks about natural leadership, which is the term that I use for this innate mammal part of us. So how do you lead yourself as a mammal? How do you lead yourself in relationship with other animals? How do you lead yourself in relationship with the humans in your life? Mm-hmm. And that might mean that some of the time you're leading others. It might mean that you're being led. It might mean that you're taking turns, but it's really about more consciousness of, of how we bring that, that those mammal strengths to life. Oh, I love that. And, and before we started recording the interview, we actually had a little conversation about, uh, you know, just like doing something like this, how sometimes this is difficult for authors, because a lot of us are, are consider ourselves introverts, and we, you know, sit in our office, and we type on our computers and we write our books and, you know, we're kind of alone and then we have to go out and we have to market it. Right. And we have to, right. You know, do these things that are uncomfortable. And you were, you were, you were talking a little bit about 
your thoughts on transitioning from that space. Did you, do you want to talk a little bit about like how your work would apply to a situation kind of like this? Yeah, that's (laughs) a great example. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that my first careers as a writer, I'm actually have an MFA in poetry. And so poets of all writers are, are incredibly reflective and private and have like a very interior world. And, and I also write prose, but I'm a poet at heart. And so I, you know, I come to, to writing from a very sensitive interior place. Mm -hmm. And then I became a therapist, which is also an incredibly introverted place. You really have to have a a very robust interior world in order to feel what's happening within others and, and know kind of where to go in any moment. And, and then as a horse person, animal person, that sensitivity that I think a lot of us have and, and are attracted to the animals because of, and we live in this world that is really not nice to sensitivity. And so one of the chapters in the book is titled Pressure, and it's about understanding the phenomenon of pressure and understanding how, how what we do to navigate pressure in any given moment as a mammal and how to take care of ourselves around pressure so that we can actually stay in a state of ease. And we're really actually terrible at it. We, we, we don't necessarily adjust in any given moment, slow down, ask for help, take breaks, very basic self-care that you will watch an an animal do all day long. You can watch a horse make all these little adjustments or signal to other horses that they need those adjustments. What we do is we hold our breath and we hold all this pressure and tension inside of us until it becomes stress. And then we carry that and we do it day after day until we end up with stress injuries and stress diseases. And then we do it and end up in these stressful situations that can even become traumatic for us. And it's because we're not, we have never studied pressure Mm. and we have never been taught how to take care of ourselves around pressure. And so as authors, if you think about going into high pressure situations, putting your work out into the world or doing interviews and think about, well, this is going to be be a huge source of pressure. So how do I take care of myself around it? How do I let people know that it's hard for me so they can support me? Mm. How do I set things up and, and create structure around an interview if that's what I need or do things before an interview or during or after so that I can release that pressure valve and feel like I'm not holding my breath or carrying more stress than needed. And the same thing is true with the writing process or putting your work out there. How do I create frameworks that allow me to take care of that sensitivity rather than trying to pretend it's not there and then having it kind of kick down the road? Because that's a lot of times what we're doing. We're just carrying that sensitivity we're carrying it with us, but not taking care of it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, animals naturally know how to do that. The herd shows them, the mother shows them. Yeah. But, but humans, it's like, we, it's hard. It's hard for some people to think of it this way, but we are animals. We are connected to everything that's going on on this planet and all the other beings in it. And we don't, we have the storytelling, we have the things, but we don't necessarily have the tools to deal with like this, this emotional, world that we've created for ourselves based on, you know, all these regimens and structures and the way things are set up, you know, it's like, we, we don't have the tools for that sort of thing. So this you know, is it's really basic stuff. Like we're, we're socialized 
in a lot of the cultures that we live in, not all, there's still cultures that are socialized to take care of themselves on this Mm -hmm. basic level. And they're living much more communally. Mm -hmm. It's much more tribal. And there's still elements of that in the world. But in Western culture and first world countries, especially where we're not as in touch with our survival. Oh my gosh, we are taught to suppress Mm -hmm. pressure. We're, We're taught to pretend it's not happening. And it's making us really sick. Yeah. I mean, there's no wonder there's so much dis-ease yeah. or disease in the in the world. It's it's insane. And I, I was uh, galloping around your website, taking a look at things as I was preparing the questions for this interview. And I love this. You said, this book is an invitation back into the world of the human animal, back into the world of you, back to the primary part of yourself that is an ever-present pres- ever instrument of awareness and your most trustworthy guide. Awareness of your sensitivity is a superpower. I love this. And I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you share like a story or, or some tips on how we can tap into this superpower or even, even acknowledge that it's there. Most people don't even know. I think that's the first part. I think it's really looking at, uh, at the ways that we're so numb Mm -hmm. and you know, what you can start the day. If you just took one day and this is an exercise in the book is doing a pressure audit Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, and one of the tools in therapy is like a thought record where you look at what your thinking does. And this is an exercise around looking at, at what point in the day, and it may be in the very first thing that happens in the day, when you open your eyes, does your mind and your body become at war with each other? And you start to ignore signals of pressure that your body is telling you. And when we slow it down and we begin to study it, we can start to see our sensitivity, but it's really hard because there's so many things that we do behaviorally that numb it. And then we'll say we're not sensitive, but some of the, uh, the most sensitive people I know did not know they were. And it's particularly true with men and that sensitivity that is our signal system that's telling us that there's something needed in any given moment. So we really want it online and operating very, in a really fine-tuned way because it's telling us what we need or what's needed around us. And that's our survival system. So the superpower thing, it's kind of funny to call it that because (laughs) it's like, well, it's actually just the way that we're designed to be able to survive. It's like a life or death signal system. Mm-hmm. So when we're, what we want to look at first, what are the ways that, that I'm ignoring it so that I can start to, to stop those. And then I'll begin to feel it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that's where people end up in crisis mm-hmm. because you realize how numb you are. And then when you start to feel it's a lot. Oh, I imagine, I imagine it's gotta be, you know, suppressing all this stuff and pushing it down and not even you know, giving it thoughts and then like, but it's there, right. It's bowling up inside of you. I imagine the emotional release or the breakthroughs when those moments come can, can be pretty, pretty big and pretty sure. uh, mind popping. I, I imagine. But then on the other side of that, there's a lot of relief in, in yeah. new ways of dealing with things. I, lo- I, mean, I love this. I've been working on this for a really long time. I've done so much work on myself. I do this for a living. I wrote a book about it. Like this is my thing. And just two days ago, somebody hugged me. She's actually a yoga teacher. And I think she must've sensed something in me. She just whispered to me, um, cause there were people around, you know, try to go all the way to the, the exhale, like as she was hugging me and I, 
pushed her away, like pushed her away, kind of like physically like stepped back and kind of laughed because it was like, that's what I do defensively is like make a joke out of it. And then I said out loud without any hesitation, no, that's where the tears are. And because I was holding some tension and I have been, and, and it is about releasing the book into the world and, you know, and there, and other things going on. Mm-hmm. And so that she picked up on it because that's what she does for a living. And even though I know I'm a student of pressure and of ease, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I started to, I, I've been really paying attention to it the last couple of days and, and just going back to like, what's a tip of trying to get into understanding pressure in ourselves when we wake up in the morning. And I was saying that, that, that we get into kind of a mind body conflict right away, because usually we get up and our eyeballs go to scrolling. Usually it's what we do. We start scrolling <laughs> or we jump into action. Like we really jump But if we just slow that down a little bit and don't do those things and just sit with ourselves, that's where we'll start to feel pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's where we'll start to feel where we're like compelled to go do something and it's a habit. And if we don't do it, that's where we'll find our sensitivity. And there's usually something emotional there, but it's also something that the magic part of it is it's the creative energetic, interesting, innovative part of us that is still very alive, that's childlike, that has wonder about the day that we don't let in because we go into whatever habits of suppressing that. But if we sit with ourselves, so if when we wake up and we just allow ourselves a couple of moments to be without doing anything, that's the part of us that comes back to life. It gets some blood flow. Hmm, that's so beautiful. I mean, in in what you're talking about here is like not only good for ourselves, but it's good for our herd, right? Yes. All the others in our lives. If we slow down and we stop repressing and we can get like kind of present yes. with what's running underneath everything. I mean, it's like we'd all be a lot happier and healthier and we'd be have better relationships. And thank you for yeah. doing this work and and writing this book and you mentioned in there, I heard a little of like, there's, there is some of this sensitivity for you around this book and around getting it out to the world. And, and it sounds like it's been a labor of love, but there's also, so, you know, so, so what, what's there for you? Like, how are you, how are you getting the word out? Like, how are you, how are you planning to reach your readers? Like what, what, you know, are, and you're working with a a publisher too. Do you want to talk a little bit about the relationship with the publisher and, and kind of how you're moving this book into the world? I really have enjoyed working with this publisher because I, I've been very empowered to put the book into the world with my vision. And mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of, there was really a lot of leeway to do that. And th- I mean, there was a lot of marketing advice and guidance mm-hmm. and, and freedom and encouragement to actually talk to people in the animal community more, you know, I'm like, well, it's psychology, it's leadership, it's animal stuff. It's, you know, it's all of these different things. But I think the thing that's most me is this animal piece. And it it has been hard to put it out in the world of psychology to say, you know, let's learn from animals and really own that in a more radical way. Mm -hmm. And so I've appreciated the freedom and encouragement to do that here. And so I have been really reaching out to a lot of, you know, 
animal people, you know, that, that there's like this community of us in the world that get it, Mm -hmm. that get that what the animals have to teach us. And we're doing all kinds of things in our lives, not just with our animals, but with people. Mm -hmm. And so if we can have new conversation about that, so I'm looking for all the ways to reach those audiences and try to put this work out there um, so that it can help it can help animal people, but also the people that then, you know, have been touched by animals help um, others, others. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Because like, especially horse people, we get it. We get that they're a therapy. Like we we work with them all the time. We understand they make us hyper aware. Like, you you know, you're aware of their energy. You're aware they are. You can tell their moods. They don't speak, but they do. Right. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's a great thing because, uh, you know, particularly like even, you know, dogs, we get dogs too, like all animals, but I love that you're reaching out to the people who, who have animals and get that, who then can take this work and spread it further to those people that they touch and the things that they're doing. I love that. And then, uh, who, who is your publisher? Who are you working with? Morgan James publishing. Awesome. Morgan James. And then did you find find that publisher or did they find you? Like, how did, how did you make that work? It was a little bit of both. I had a friend who published two books through Morgan James. And so he created an introduction and then I had been looking at some other publishers. And one of the things that I valued about this publisher was the, that owned my intellectual property. Oh, good. And so I was really, I do a lot of teaching and I was, and a lot of speaking. And I wanted to be able to, that I, I was aware that there were going to be limitations around what I could do with my own work. And there was one of the things that they offer that was really unique was the longevity of the book and, and seeing that some of the books that have become bestsellers for them took a couple of years to get there. And there's a lot of publishers that won't stick it out for the long haul, but if the author's committed to that process, they'll stay in it with you. That there, that was a really, I liked that commitment. That was very encouraging. And that's huge. I mean, intellectual property is such a, it's such a, it's yours. It's your creative pursuits, but a lot of times authors that don't know any better sign their sign that right away to do whatever they want with their work. So that's awesome. And the longevity I love and the freedom to yeah. market it the way you want to. And they're going to stick with you. That, that sounds fabulous. And it sounds to me like you educated yourself on the route you wanted to take and you made the very best decision for you and what you want to do. And that, yeah. that's, I harp on that a lot. That's all we like, can do. I yeah. Know. It's just make the best choice for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I was, great. you know, really motivated to get the book out into the world. And of course now I'm terrified that it's out in the world, but there's a little bit of both and here, but, um, but I really do believe in this work and I, um, and, and so to have a publisher that's willing to, to stick that out, to see how far a reach we can, we can make is really important. Well, I think this is really important work. I'm going to holler about it from the rooftops and thank you. And this is the work that's on your heart and sharing it openly with your own stories attached with the world to help better the world. So, I mean, you should absolutely be proud of this, but I get, I hear the anxiety. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's there. I mean, it's there no matter what you put out there. I mean, you know, when, when your, when your book comes out, it's like, you know, (laughs) this is definitely an anxious moment, you know? I know. I was thinking, so memoir writers could hate it 
psychologists could hate it. Leadership people could hate it. I'm like, I've really opened the door to like, not just one audience, but <laughs> self-help writers could hate it. I'm like, cause it is many things, but I think, you know, I do believe in it and I, that's all we can do. Yeah. And I mean, one smart author, when I was beginning my author career said to me, you can never write or create anything that is going to please everyone. And I took That's that right. to heart, you know? So it's like, if, if you believe in it, I'm, I'm hearing really good things out of what you're sharing. So and if your heart's calling you forward and that, that world wants it out there, it's got to go, you know, yeah. and then, and then you're going to get your haters. I mean, I think any creative or any author, or any artist or any musician, anyone yeah. who puts anything out there for others to, who don't create to judge is very brave. You know, and at the end of the day, if all I've done is that there's now a book, there's an artifact out there and someone says, wow, I hate the book, but she wrote a book and that yes. inspires me to write a book. I've mm -hmm. still put something out there that helps somebody else. And so like maybe someone hates it so much, they're inspired to write a better one. Good. It's done something. It's yeah. shifted the needle a little bit to move, to move our, our humanity forward. That's an awesome way to look at it. Yeah. But here's the thing. I think there's some statistic out there that like 85% of humanity or something want to write a book, only 3% do. And then wow. that number drops even lower for people who write subsequent books after having written one. So, wow. so you're doing good things. I mean, just be really proud of that. Thank you. I know Thank this is going to make a difference. I mean, just having this conversation has already made a difference. Oh, that's lovely. I thank you. Now, given all that we just talked about and like some of the, some of the little things that have bubbled up, what, like, what advice would you share with an inspiring entrepreneur or an aspiring author or an aspiring creative having gone through all this and with, with your background and how we are as mm -hmm. human animals, what would you say to someone? So the last chapter in the book is about herd. It's about like, what is a herd and how are we herd animals? And what are some of the, like, why do we live as like, what is it? What does it really mean to be supported in a herd? And that's been, you know, it, it's been about a 15 year process for me of really growing that in myself and around me and really having myself resourced enough internally and externally mm -hmm. that I know how to get support and ask for help. And, and so I think there's a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs try to do everything alone. Mm -hmm. And there's a story like right now I have a horse here who's four years old. I birthed him. Like I opened the sack and our faces met before he Aww. even saw his mommy. And <laughs> he's, and you know, I've, I've, you know, lived with him for four years. I'm like part of his herd. And I've got him all the way to the point where I can lay on the saddle, but I haven't swung a leg over. Mm -hmm. And I have this story going that I have to be the one to do it, <laughs> but I'm 48 years old and I don't, want to get hurt. And I've never started a cult before and I've gotten it to this point. And so I think that entrepreneurs get, it's like an ego driven piece around like, and it's a two-year-old part of ourselves. Like it's like, do itself. So, you know, that that's like what two-year-olds are. They're like, no, do itself. Do itself. <laughs> yeah. And there, and it's like this very protective need to be autonomous part of ourselves. But it is not how we were designed to live or learn or do hard things. And so I think the most 
like important thing I've learned and have to keep relearning and practicing that I have to offer is to make sure that you really are supported and that the people that you're supporting you know their role, mm-hmm. like how they're supporting you and that you've picked trustworthy people around you to play the roles in your life that you need them to and that they challenge you um, and ask hard questions and they're not afraid to do that, but they're also gentle and loving and, and that there's, you know, they're, they're trustworthy. And so I think we can do so many hard things and, and, you know, achieve those goals that we want when we're not doing it alone. Mm-hmm. But the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit has this lone wolf quality to mm-hmm. it. That's so dangerous. Lone wolves don't survive. Mm-hmm. That's, that it's a myth, a myth, and it's it's a glorified myth of the lone wolf entrepreneur. Founders of companies that don't build a team and then put themselves in a proper lane, they don't. Those companies don't do well, and they or it causes huge harm to the founder. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true with an author. Find your herd, right? But building a herd where everybody knows their roles. I mean, I just see how that works in family. I see how that works yeah. in business. I see how that works around building something or, you know, changing your career or just friendships in general. Like this is valuable stuff. I mean, yeah. And don't, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help, but, but find reputable people that you trust who will push you, but yes. lift you up at the same time. Absolutely. That's, that's what I heard. I love And that. I would say you are going to be afraid to ask for help that we live in a culture that tells us that we should do it on our own. Yeah, And so expect that you're going to be afraid or you're going to tell yourself not to and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Expect that you're going to not want to ask for help. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing too, about how we've become as a society, right? We're all yeah. kind of operating independently behind computers on our phones all the time. We are social beings. Yeah. So this, this when, when I, when I got the request for the interview, I was like so excited to talk to you about the herd because we are losing that yes. mentality and like, you know, we need that connection. You know, you may think you don't, even if you're an introvert, you may think I don't need people, but you do, you know, we all, we, we don't ever get anywhere without the yeah. assistance of other people. And it's the same way a herd protects the Each young other. or, you know, gets to good grass or passes on the knowledge of what to eat and what not to eat. It's fascinating, but we don't look at ourselves that way. So I, I love this conversation. Now for you, what is the best part about the work that you're doing, but then on the flip side, what's the most difficult part? I think we've kind of gotten around a little bit that because the book is opening the lid on the possibility mm-hmm. for people to poke at you. Yeah. But in but I but what you're saying resonates so much, and I don't think that's going to happen. But that's a normal fear, right? Mm-hmm. But for you, what's been the best part of the work you're doing, and then on the flip side, the hardest part? I think the work that I do with people, the best part of it is seeing that that these, that the experiences that they have and looking at the world through this lens and learning some mammal skills, <laughs> expanding our mammal capacities is it's a, it's actually a very quick change. And mm-hmm. so it's so exciting to see how it can, you know, really profoundly shift things for people by these simple shifts and how it can make big change. But I think that the thing that's hardest about it is that we're working against all of these other forces of, you know, a couple hundred years of industrialized culture. And there's so much pain and trauma from living like that. 
it's, it's really caused huge harm to the human animal. And it's not to say that the industrialization or technological revolution or any of that is altogether bad. It's just, but it has caused a lot of harm. And so looking at, you know, how does like we're doing, I'm doing this work and I, I get to do it on a larger scale with companies and doing culture change. And that's very exciting. And then sometimes I look out on the vastness of like, how do we reach more people around this? Because we're hurting and, and that is heartbreaking for me. It's been heartbreaking for me my whole life to see that and to see like, it doesn't have to be this way. Mm. And the infighting that we do as a species is very heartbreaking to me. Absolutely. I mean, especially what's going on in the world today, you know, and thank you though, for putting this out here, out here and looking at that and being brave enough to be like, there is a better way because that's, that's how we can bring healing to us. But, but I, I, I hear how hard that mountain yeah. is to climb, but the more we spread the word, the more we get it out there, the more things will change. I think and so. Yeah. yeah. These shifts take a long time, but they it's, do. it's a long time coming. So, I, and I think that the human species is looking for something different, especially after the years of isolation through the pandemic. And now, you know, being on the brink of this possible world war three. I mean, like we are in a place where something has to, has to shift. Yeah, it's like a critical tipping point in our, in our species. And it's like, I think we sometimes get hopeless about how many problems there are and how much pressure is on our, all of our systems. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what we were talking about, about like, well, what if you just started your day differently? Just you, one person, one system, one ecological system of you, just this mammal. And I did that one day, I did that one hour at a time, one day at a time. And how many lives do I touch with a a more balanced mammal at ease? Mm. And how many, and then how many lives does that touch? If everybody did just a little bit of that, and it was really just about how do I get my mammal system to be in a state of ease? It's a little more hopeful. It's like, okay, well, maybe I don't get to fix you know, Ukrainian Russian conflict, but I do closer to home, the child that I'm raising goes to school and she impacts her community differently because she has a mom who's operating at that level. And maybe that is like, that's one step in, in that direction. And I kind of stay in some hope around that realizing that, you know, she's the next generation and she's touching other lives. And so it's just one little piece of, I mean, the alternative is we just, you know, like duck and cover and (laughs) numb out. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to spend my days like that. I'd rather be. Yeah. I love that. And, and, but that makes so much sense. Like we do have the, the ability to make a difference in our own small ways throughout the day by not hiding behind things and actually lifting the lid and taking a little look inside and going, oh, Right. I'm doing that, you know, yeah. and, and, and I'm doing that to others and maybe I should stop doing that, you know? So, yeah. so there's a, it's lot a of change. little change, but it's huge. I mean, I've, I look at how my life has changed by yeah. lifting the lid on, you know, lifting the hood. I always talk about it, like lift the hood, like check out your own engine, what's going on in there. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, it's changed me and others around me dramatically. So, well, and, and obviously you're seeing it change people often through, through the work that you're doing with others and, and how they're interacting with, with your program. So it works, right. So, but we just have to be willing to kind of 
put the self to the side for a second and take a look under the hood and see under what's the going hood. on. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you could go back in time before you started all this up and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? You know, it's the, I, I still, I use this advice. It, it was taught to me by a mentor, my mentor who I, I talk about in the book throughout the book, um, Jim Maddock. And, you know, having a bigger picture, having a scope of our lives, like what's going on on a greater context, rather than it being so in the weeds and in the moment allows me to be more courageous and feel more empowered and make more choices about my life. And I think that when I look back at different times in my life, when I've been most scared or I've been hesitant to move forward with something or reactive, or it's because I've lost my scope or I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to have that, that bigger picture. There's a chapter in the book called scope. So it's, it's one (laughs) of the concepts. And, and so really just, yeah, I think, you know, stay in the big picture because you're going to be able to see there's a longer story here. And that sometimes where we are in our own story, it's just one point in time and we're not seeing the whole system. And so the more that I've learned that, that lens of, of having scope and being able to get some elevation and altitude, it allows me to actually be more calm Mm -hmm. and more make better decisions and, and more improvisational. It's allowed me to be much more creative and fluid because I can, I am, I haven't gotten so on top of what's happening. There's just a little bit of space there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think we, we don't always, our brain isn't wired to be able to have that kind of scope when we're younger. Mm-hmm. We get that when we're, we don't even get that till we're like 23 years old. <laughs> and so, which is so interesting, but I wish I had it earlier because it would have helped me to feel less afraid or in shame or, you know, any of the things that, that we feel that can sometimes prevent us from trying new things or just growing. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was, that was wonderful. And I agree. Wish could, wish we could all have things like that a little earlier because yeah. the things, all yeah. the things we could do, but it's never too late. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> Is there anything a listener might be surprised to learn about you? I mean, you, you, you're doing all this amazing work and you're well-educated and you're a writer and you love horses. I mean, can you do like a, um, mm. you know, 14 somersaults in a row or something? <laughs> or... <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, no, I mean, something that's, oh, that's so funny. Like something novel like that. Yeah. That's or about like, can me. you play the guitar or, you know. I mean, I usually, the, the fact that I'm a poet is kind of a, an unusual part of who I am, but I, you know, I am a, a, I had a very, very difficult childhood and Sorry. a lot of trauma there. And I'm also a person in recovery. So I've been sober for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's a, a part of my life that I'm really proud of. And it's a huge resource that I like of, and it's, it's something that I do daily to stay on top of so that I'm healthy. And I think sometimes when people see, you know, like what I do and what I've accomplished, you'd never think that Mm. I actually overcome a lot. And I still actively every day, I'm a really high maintenance person in order to keep that machine operating well. Mm -hmm. And probably some of it is because I had a rough start, but I, I do like to share about it because I think sometimes people think, well, 
she's had it so easy. And so of course, you know, like, well, look at all those accomplishments, but geez, I was like, you know, it was a very messy story. It's, it's, and, and so I think it's important, you know, to remember that for people that think that their story is too messy to be able to have something that goes out into the world that could help others. That's absolutely not the case here. I'm just as messy as the next person internally. I just do a lot of work to try to like smooth out those edges on a daily basis. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, it's, that's really powerful just in general, because, you know, we're looking at the shiny, glossy social media where everything's perfect. And I won't, you know, I'm going to take 14 pictures until one looks great and get me from this angle. And like, we're only going to tell the stories about the good stuff. And, and I love that, you know, and you can have a messy past. You can, you can be, you know, you can go through all sorts of things and continue working on all sorts of things and have success. So I, I like that, that you shared that, you know, none of us are perfect, but, but we're starting to create this world where everything looks that I know. way. Yeah. I can barely do one somersault. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't do a cartwheel. I don't know how to dive. Like I was very like not in my body as a young person and so mm-hmm. scared to try things. It's funny. Cause I don't know why I decided horses were, I mean, all, <laughs> no, but you like, ride horses. Yeah. well, but they can do amazing things with their bodies. And so there was something about the partnership that allowed mm-hmm. me to be more brave in my own body. But when I think about like, yeah, I know how to walk through hard stuff and get to a place of of healing around it and that, and, and then to be able to put something out into the world that might be able to benefit others. And so I guess that's my secret, uh, interesting thing I do. Well, that's really special. I mean, I'm so, I'm so glad you shared that because that, that is real. I mean, that's the real stuff and you've been brave and you're marching forward and you're, how do I better, how do I make things better for people, for myself and then share it with others. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I have so enjoyed this conversation. So like, what's next? What are you curious about? I, I mean, I know right now, a lot of the focus is on, you know, getting the book out and sharing it with as many people as possible and doing the work around that. But is there like a companion piece to this book? Coming? There is. Like, yeah. There is. I, well, yeah. So I got divorced during the pandemic and uh, yeah, I left a, a, a 20 or I ended a 20 year marriage and wow, it was a really um, incredible process of growth. And, and during that process, I also adopted a wild Mustang. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd wanted to do it my whole life and the world was shut down and I was in a process of, of a lot of reflection and just really stopping all of the things I'd been trying to do to make the marriage work and just being with myself. And I was really struggling with it. I couldn't seem to settle. And one of my, my mentors advisors suggested that I, I do something that I've always wanted to do. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And this, and it allowed me to see that, uh, that the marriage was over, that Mm -hmm. actually the relationship with the horse and her self-preservation and the whole process of, of bringing her here. And she was untouched and completely just raw feedback. And, and it was, it's just been an incredible journey. So I've been writing that book, which is about her name is feather. And it's about what I've learned about self-preservation. It's, it really is how this Mustang helped me get back to myself. Sniff, sniff. Oh my I know. 
I love this. So, this, so it's a work in progress, but oh, it's so a work in progress. I started writing it when I was finishing the other book and I was so compelled because I was finishing the other book while I was in the Mustang experience. I was like more compelled to write the other book. I'm like, I don't want to finish this one. I want to write the other one. <laughs> it's so funny and how that so, happens. Yeah. I'm like, what's happening right now? I'm like, I don't, my daughter was like, you've got to be kidding me. She's 11. And she's like, you're going to write another book. You hated writing this other book. Why are you going to do this to yourself again? But yeah, I, I, that's the, the current book that I I'm am working on. so excited for that. We'll have to have you back on the show when, when that one comes out, because I'd, I'd like to dive dip deeper in there, but I don't want to give anything away sure. on this one. But I mean, isn't it amazing how things kind of show up at the right time to help you through situations if yeah. you just look for it? Oh, yeah. You know, this one thing you always wanted to do. I mean, I can totally see the bridge and the parallel and how those two things would combined for you to have an opening. I mean, wow. I I'm excited about this. It, it was, it was a pretty amazing experience and it, the, the Mustang experience just in general, I, it has been life-changing. It's been, wow. That's something yeah. I've always wanted to do too. So I, you know, next time we'll have you back on, we'll talk a little bit more okay. about the, yeah. the whole process of adopting a Mustang and one that's been untouched and how that works. That would be exciting to talk about. And then that'll parallel with the next book, which there is so There you perfect. go. Yeah. Yay. Beth. Where can people find more information about you, the work you do, and your book? So the circleupexperience.com is my website and everything comes, you know, you can find anything you want to know about me and how to be in touch with me. I I do publish lots of blogs and so there's always new writing out there and I do try to offer free little tools and things and resources to people through the website. The book has a landing page that's the humanherdbook.com and I'm located in the Bay Area in Northern California and my ranch is called Take a Chance Ranch but everything that you if you want to get in touch with me the circleupexperience.com is how you find me. That's awesome. And and Beth, I have so enjoyed talking with you. I mean, I think what you're doing is really powerful and what a gift that you you gave us Thank by sharing you. some of your knowledge with us. Everybody go get this book. Let's Thank make, you. Let's make a difference in the world. Uh, and Beth, thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author, who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>